Thanks for listening to Victory's podcast today. Connecting people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus is what we're all about. For more resources or to reach out to us, go to victorychristian.church. No, really, are you ready for the Bible? Okay, all right. Uh, Ephesians 5 verse 18 says this. Don't get drunk with wine. I love starting off with scriptures like that. Um, Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Just getting better here. Um, Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Doesn't that just sound like what we just did? Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. One of the things I love about worship is that we are not just singing about God, we are singing to Him. It is our prayers and our worship to Him because He's worthy of the worship. Amen? Let's take a moment. Let's pray. Father, we love You. We thank You for Your Word. And right now, our hearts are wide open for what You want to speak to us. For every one of us, Lord, would You speak to us, even as You speak to all of us. I pray for the empowerment of Your Spirit to share what is in your heart today, God. Thank you, God, for worship, for the truth and the the blessing of worship. And uh, Lord, I just give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, David in the Old Testament was very passionate about worship. And when I say David in the Old Testament, I'm talking about the same David who slayed Goliath, the same David who became the king of Israel. He had a passion about worship. Actually, long before he even became a king, he was passionate about worship. He loved the presence of God. He was a musician. He was a songwriter. And, um, you know, King Saul was actually the first king uh, before King David. And there was this point in Scripture in 1 Samuel 16 where King Saul was being harassed by an evil spirit. And uh, they were trying to figure out how to solve this problem. And David came into play. It says in 1 Samuel 16, 18, one of the servants answered, I have seen the son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is fine looking. Sounds like a lot of you men around here. And the Lord is with him. I love that. The Lord is with him. And I pray that God could say the same thing about us, that the Lord is with us and that we are brave and that we are uh, warriors overcoming darkness. But it says in the scripture that, that he came... In verse 21, David came to Saul and entered into his service, and Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. Now here's what happened. Verse 23, Whenever the evil spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul, and he would feel better, and the evil spirit would would leave him. And so Saul solved his issue of this evil spirit tormenting him by having David do worship. Because worship brings deliverance. And worship breaks the power of the enemy. The devil does not like worship. 
Matter of fact, he used to be, and it says in Scripture, he was the kind of the chief musician and worship leader, and then he got puffed up in himself, and he said, you know what, I want to be like God. And the Lord was like, oh, no, that's not happening. And um, worship, worship ushers in the atmosphere of heaven into a place. David, David's passion for God is the reason why, and his passion for worship is the reason why they brought him in this place, because they said, the Lord's with this guy. Let's bring him. Maybe it will solve this issue. And, you know, David's, his passion for God, his passion for worship was a lifelong passion that we see from his childhood through his adulthood. And um, David became king. He was actually the king after Saul. And um, at one point in Israel's, or at this point in Israel's history, what's fascinating is the worship practices were kind of like disassembled. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Previous to the kings, and when there was Moses and when there was Joshua, they had a tabernacle, and it was like this tent system that would move around, and wherever they set up as a nation, they would set up this tabernacle, and it was the sacrificial system and the worship system and all of that, and that's where the ark went with them. But in this season of Israel's history, it was disassembled. And what I mean by that is north of Jerusalem in a place called Gibeon. Would you say Gibeon? It's kind of a fun word to say. I thought you'd join me. Um, that is where the sacrifices were happening. The regular sacrificial um, practices were happening up in Gibeon. But what's fascinating, and it was in the highlands, which, and it was a high place, which is where you would typically do worship and that kind of thing. But the Ark of the Covenant, and when I'm talking about the Ark of the Covenant, are you, you like Indiana Jones? Yes, Indiana Jones, the Ark of the Covenant, the gold box with the seraphim like, and, and all the ordinate uh, kind of stuff around it and gold, the place where the presence of God was like, it represents the very presence of the Lord. That was not with the rest of the tabernacle in Gibeon. I'm thinking the same thing. Why not? We don't actually have a lot of explanation about it. We just know it was stolen at one point and captured back and that kind of thing, and it wasn't all together. And it was really meant to be together. But what's important is that the ark represented the presence. And the ark was at, this, at the house of a guy named Abinadab. I know you're wishing you were saying that word. Isn't that Abinadab's house, right? And David, now he's king, he's like, you know what? The sacrifices are going on in Gibeon. The ark is in this, this guy's house, Abinadab. We need to get the ark into Jerusalem. We need to get the presence into Jerusalem. I want it in proximity. How many of y'all want to be in proximity of the presence of the Lord? And that was his passion. It's like, man, I, I want to bring this thing closer. So he devised a plan, and he said, we're going to bring the ark into Jerusalem. And uh, why? Because he loved God's presence. Because he respected God's presence. And he, he wanted to bring it close to him so that he could honor God's presence. He didn't want to go to Abinadad's house to, to worship. He wanted to be at his house. And worship, if you will. There's actually a theory, and I haven't done enough study to know if this is right. There's a theory that he set it up in his own palace, the tent that he would set up. But I, I don't know if that's quite right, so I ain't going to preach it yet. I'm just going to leak it a little bit, but I won't <laughs> preach it. Um, but it kind of made it a little sense to me. But it's fascinating because the ark should be with the tabernacle. Like, it should be with the sacrificial system. Like, that's what God laid out. What's fascinating is sometimes, like, Scripture just doesn't give you a lot of details. Sometimes it's because 
it gives, it tests us, like, are we going to just start making stuff up? <laughs> I don't like to make stuff up. I like to go, we don't really know. What's fascinating is God allows David to bring the ark into Jerusalem to set this up and allows him to like set up the system that we don't see in the, the system that Moses had originally set up. But it's kind of like God just like letting him either do what's in his heart to do or maybe God put it in his heart to do. But something's going on there. What's fascinating is the first attempt does not work. And sometimes I've pre- preached an entire message on this, but I'm actually going to kind of go through this a little bit quickly because there's somewhere else I want to go with this today. The first attempt, though, to bring the ark um, from Abinadab's house went terribly wrong. And the reason it went terribly wrong is because David did not honor God's protocol. Um, what he did is he took the ark and he put it on a new cart. Did y'all say new cart? New cart. And it had it pulled by an ox. Now, that sounds like a perfectly reasonable, practical plan. But what happens is the, the ox stumbles along the way. And on the way, I mean, David's like going all out. They're like worshiping and they're doing sacrifices. Like this is not just like the moving day where, you know, two brothers and a truck come to move it. Like th- this is a big deal and people are worshiping. But on the way, the ox stumbles and the, the, the ark is on the, on the cart and it rocks. And a guy named Uzzah puts out his hand to steady the ark and God's like, no. Nah. It was disrespectful and dishonoring because that ark was considered such a sacred thing that it was like, no, 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 you don't just throw your hand up on the ark. It don't work that way. And God struck him dead. And like, David was like, what just happened? Like, I thought what we were doing was good. And I thought, and, and he was really disillusioned at that moment of like, what is going on? And so he parks the ark at a guy named Obed-Edom's house and leaves it there. Can I give you an interesting tidbit? Uzzah was the son of Abinadab, which means that the Ark of the Covenant was in Uzzah's house growing up, or you know, he would have been familiar with it. I wonder if the reason why he was willing to throw his hand out there to, sh- to, to touch it was because he'd become too familiar with it kind of thing. And I thought, hmm, that's an interesting thing. Like, we want to have confidence in the presence of God, but we don't want to, like, be familiar. Like, when we come into the presence of God, it's not exactly, a, you know, a fist pump and a high five, right? There's honor and glory that's due his name. So the ark goes into Obed-Edom's house. I love these names. I love them when they're simpler to say, to be honest with you, because um, when they're not, I just make it up. Um, God blessed Obed-Edom's house. This is what it says in 2 Samuel verse 6 or chapter 6, verse 11. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now, that's a good point. God's presence will bless your household. Amen? I mean, have the presence of the Lord in your household and in your car and wherever you are. Bring, bring it, Lord. The, but the blessing of the Lord over Obed-Edom's house I think it kind of drove David a bit nuts. He's like, did I got it? Like, I really wanted the presence of the Lord in Jerusalem. Like, I think it made him just want it all the more because he gets a report and it's like, oh yeah, Obed-Edom, he is blessed. He's like, I, I want that. So he goes with round two. Round two, he studies the protocol a little bit better. And what he realizes is that the ark was designed 
to, be, uh, to have two poles through it and four men, two in the front and two in the back, carrying the poles, not an ark and a, and a cart and pulled by an ox because God's presence is meant to be carried by his people. And see, what God was saying is, listen, don't mess with my model because my model means something, right? It's like when, when Moses in the Old Testament, it says, hey, speak to the rock and the water will flow, right? Well, who, we get to the, Old, the New Testament, who is it that, represent, that the rock represents? Jesus, right? And it says, speak to the rock, or excuse me, I messed it up. He struck the rock and the water came. The second time when they needed water, the Lord says to him, okay, this time I want you to speak to the rock. And Moses got all frustrated and he struck it again and water flowed. But the Lord says, no, no, you did it wrong. You see that? And the reason is it represented Jesus. Jesus was crucified one time. You go to Jesus and his crucifixion one time and then after that you speak to him. He don't have to get crucified again. Sometimes the Lord is finicky about the model, not because he's just for being finicky's sake, but because it means something and he wants that meaning for us. The presence is carried by people. Amen? And so in this one, Moses, excuse me, David goes all out. Every six steps, there's music, there's singing, there's worship, there's sacrifices going on. Uh, 2 Samuel 6, verse 16 says this, As the ark of the Lord was entering into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, watched from a window. Now, Michael is David's wife, okay? And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in in her heart. So Michael complained. She's like, what is it that you are doing? And uh, he basically, in one of the versions says, you just like showing off for these girls? She was that kind of wife. Like, <laughs> you just want all the girls to like you and you know, you're dancing and all that kind of stuff. And she goes, you save your dancing for the house. <laughs> the Bible doesn't say that. That's the editorial, but that's what was going on. You ain't dancing before all those girls. And it says actually when he was dancing before the Lord with all his might, like his outer clothes came off. So she's like, oh no, we ain't having that, right? Um, and in verse, in verse 22, this is David's response to her. I will become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. He's like, no, no, no. This is worship. This isn't what you are making it. And I will lose all my dignity and all my outside honor to worship the Lord. And can I tell you something that for us... If you are worried about what people think about you when you're worshiping, it's overrated. No one really cares what you're doing. I want to tell you, no one cares. You put your hand up, whether it's the, you know, the one, the two, the hold, the baby, whatever you want to do. Like, I just want to encourage you, like, ex- be willing to express your heart because there's, it, it's, it's not magic, but there's an expression that comes out of your heart, and he is worthy of it. Amen? I tell you what, when the Pittsburgh Steelers score a touchdown in my house, my house goes wild. We get loud. And there's some movement in the house. There's some jumping and leaping and some praising of the Steelers. And, you know, I want to be honest with you. I do not want my, my, my fan club of being of the NFL to ever outshadow my worship of God. 
I want, I want my worship of God to go, you know, he is so real, he is so true, and he is so good that I'm willing to demonstrate a little bit. Now, we don't draw attention to ourselves. We don't do it out of guilt and condemnation. We do it out of freedom. David was worshiping God out of freedom. It was an expression of freedom. And I want to tell you what, when you express what's in your heart, and I'm not like trying to prescribe, now you over there, I want all hands up over here and there. I want you four, four laid prostate, and it's nothing like that. But what is in your heart, there's a freedom, and it will set you free. And there's something good about it, and it honors God. And that's what David was doing. He was honoring God. And, you know, the reality is we should be honored to be in the presence of the Lord. Jesus paid an amazing price for our salvation. He paid an amazing price to reconcile us to God. And to go into the presence of the Lord so freely like we do, not based on our own goodness, not based on our own performance, but based on who Jesus is, it is our honor to be before the presence of the Lord. It's a message I've, I've preached in some places in the world about how I got to meet uh, President George Bush, the, the, uh, the younger one, uh, years ago. And I talk about how, but there's nothing like meeting the, son, the, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and being in God's presence. Nothing overshadows. And we have that access because of Jesus. Second, we should not be ashamed or embarrassed by the presence of God. Amen? I mean, just to say it bluntly, Jesus died a bloody death on a cross in front of people. By golly, I can worship him. He's worthy of it. I want to be proud of who he is and what he's done for me. And our, our worship should not be uh, sheepish. And I mean like, uh, you know, like subtle. It should be sincere and we should allow expression. And I, I'm in no way trying to push you outside of who you are, but we are made for worship. And there's, we're allowed to have some expression with that. Amen. First Chronicles 15 um, talks about the same story about David bringing the ark to Jerusalem. But there's an interesting little tidbit in there that I want to I point out to you um, that's going to inform our message today. It says that David, in 1, Corinthians, or 1 Chronicles 15, it says that he wore a linen ephod. And let us go, yeah, big whoop, and what's a weak ephod, right? An ephod is a, a priestly garment. But I remember I told you David was a king, and let me tell you, there were very strict lines between king and priest in the Old Testament. And here's David wearing an ephod. And it was, it was like he was taking on a priestly role. You know what's really interesting about that? Is King Saul, his predecessor, got in trouble for having a sacrifice happening and not waiting for Samuel to get there. And here's David throwing on an ephod and like, you know, worshiping God and like moving the, the um, ark from one place to another place. Honestly, this should be the priest's job. They should be taking the reins. They should be the ones doing this. But it's like this kind of interesting moment in history where it's like the, the, the tabernacle's a bit disassembled and God's like allowing David to do these things. But there's some, some truth that is being expressed. There's another point in which David takes on this priestly role again, and that's when 
after he had slept with Bathsheba and after he had uh, Uriah killed and um, Bathsheba's baby, he was interceding that the baby would live and the baby died. And it was like the lowest point in David's life because of this sin and all this terribleness. It says that when they informed him that the baby was dead, they were, they were actually really concerned about what he would do. It says that he got up, he washed himself, and it says that he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. It looks like he actually went into that tent system, that tabernacle that he had set up for this place of worship, that he was in there. And have you all seen how many psalms in your Bible have been written by David? You get the impression David might have spent some time in there. And it kind of makes you scratch your head like, what is David doing in the tabernacle? Because David is a king. Now David goes, goes further. He brings it. He sets up this tent. He puts the ark in there. He names Asaph and says, Asaph, you're going to be over this tent, and I want you to administrate what's going on here. And he, he puts the Levitical uh, uh, pieces in place, the, the Levitical tribe, if you will, and says, all right, we want worship and we want music. David even prescribes in First Chronicles, prescribes the song that's going to be singing. He writes it and gives it to him. It's like, David, like if you're, like, you're a king, and you're of the tribe of Judah. And this is like what the Levitical tribe and, the, and the, the line of Aaron does. And yet all of this is happening. Now, I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. What's fascinating to me is David's put all this in place, and he's put this tribe in place, the Levites. Now, I want you, I want you to take a moment and think about this, because this is important to you and to me. He puts them in there, and their job is to worship God. I should think about that for a moment. Their job was to get up in the morning, go and worship God, write songs about God, honor God. As a matter of fact, the regular person wasn't allowed to go into the places that they were allowed to go into and to do what they did. And there's a whole backstory on that that I can't, I don't have time for to share right now. But their whole job, their work, their duty was to get up in the morning and worship God. You know, we were honoring Veterans Day and there's, you know, uh, so many thousands of people, they wake up in the morning, what's their job is to protect this nation. Their job was to get up and go worship God. And now, you know whose job that is? It's ours. Remember that verse in, in, in Psalms? I didn't put it in my notes, but if we don't praise him, the rocks will cry out and praise him. Y'all, this thing for worship is a little bit more than an opportunity. There's a sense of duty that comes to us when it comes to worship. Because our God is worthy of worship, is he not? And David's like, you know what, and I think maybe this is one of the reasons why God allowed him to do it. The Levites should have done this. They should have got that ark to the tabernacle, like worked it out, whether it was in Gibeon or whatever. Like they should have like taken the lead and made this happen. And David says, you know what, I'm going to take the lead. I'm going to put it at my city, and we're going to worship God in this place. And I'm going to go in there every once in a while. I'm going to wear the ephod, and I'm going to worship God. Because he has this passion for worship, and the Lord was just letting him go with it. David set up that tent because it was practical. 
And we don't see a mandate from the Lord like telling him, you've got to go do this. But his practical action was driven by the fact that he was so passionate about the, the presence of God and about worshiping God. You know, as soon as he finishes with this tent, it's pretty wild. In, in uh, 1 Chronicles 17, he finishes the tent and he's looking around and he goes, dang on it, I'm in this beautiful palace and the presence in the ark is in this tent. I need to build a permanent temple. And there's this back and forth between him and the prophet Nathan. Nathan's like, go do whatever in your heart to do. And then the Lord speaks to Nathan and says, no, 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 don't do that. Building the temple is going to be his son's job, Solomon's job. And that is when they would bring it all back together under a permanent temple in Jerusalem. Y'all, y'all follow me? So this is like this temp- temporary scenario that where God is allowing David to do this. God's allowing David to take the lead. God's allowing David to take a role as a priest, really not in a Levitical sense, but actually in the, the sense of Melchizedek. This was in my offering a couple weeks ago. Melchizedek was this king priest in Genesis that encountered Abraham, and Abraham gave him a tenth of everything that he had. It says that Jesus is a, is a king priest in the order of Melchizedek. And, and, um, and here's where we land. And this kind of brings it together. 1 Peter 2.9 says this. And this is written to you. But you are a chosen people. A what? A royal priesthood. A holy nation. Can I tell you today? We as believers are part of Abraham's seed. We are grafted in. We are his holy nation. And it's not a priesthood as a subsection. It's not the worship team. We are a a nation of worshipers unto the Lord. And what I love about this whole thing with David and with this whole setup is there was this honor and this duty and this kind of like, hey, this is your job and by golly, we're going to go do it. And as I've been studying and looking at this and wanting to talk to us about worship, I've been thinking about like, like, Lord, I love to worship you. I want to worship you. But I don't always look at it as I have this honor, this duty. It's part of my job and my call as a believer to give you the worship that is due your name. To say, God, you are worthy of my worship, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Doesn't that sound just like us? I want to tell you all, we, there's, I can't resist sometimes, so there's this scripture in Acts chapter, I think it's 15, verse 16, and it talks about restoring David's fallen tent, which is fascinating, because why would you restore David's tent? There's a tabernacle system. And why would you do that when there, in Acts chapter 15, the temple is standing in Jerusalem? Why? Because in the, in the church, they were receiving the Holy Spirit. 
And they were singing with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And they were, they were experiencing a revival of worship. And they were saying, God is restoring David's fallen tent. We're experiencing this presence of God where songs are being written, where God's glory is coming down on the place, and where we get to worship him and honor him and just say, God, I'm so thankful just to be in the room with you. And it is my honor to worship you. It is my privilege to honor you in this place. And we don't do a bunch of sacrifices on the way in and the sacrifices way out. And the reason why is because he is the sacrifice. That was done. And so why is a tent being rebuilt? Why is the, the and this is like a New Testament principle, this tent of David, this place of worship being built where the presence of God is and where we are and where we get to participate is because that has been done. It is finished. And this thing about worship, we get to do it for all of our lives and for and in eternity we get to worship him. And I want to invite you, I asked Matt today, I said, I, I want to close with a worship song because I can't tell you that, you know, we have this amazing honor and duty to worship the Lord and then say, all right, let me pray you out. It just feels like we need to worship a bit. Would you stand with me? And we're going to, we're going to just close with worship. If you're watching online, just close your eyes and just worship the Lord. And here's what I want to ask you to do today. I just want to ask you to act like there's no one else in the room. If you need to close your eyes to do that, do that. And just give the Lord what is in your heart today to worship him. Amen. In your freedom, I will live.
as we're worshiping, I, I see this picture in my mind of like in each of our households, you know, in the Old Testament, incense was a, um, was a type of what worship was. You know, they would, they would burn incense in the, outer, in, the, in the court, but it really was to represent an atmosphere and a smell of worship, if you will. And the picture I saw was in each of our house, it was like incense was going up, but it wasn't incense. It was our worship. And I just want to encourage you to make your house smell like the presence of the Lord. Like make your house a place where, where there's some of that worship incense, if you will. And obviously I'm not talking about incense, right? Um, but there's a presence and an atmosphere in your home that says God is worshipped in this place. Amen. I'm going to take a moment and I'm going to pray. And uh, if you would like some prayer today before you leave, our team will be up here in the front and you can receive some prayer. And so, Lord, we love you today. And God, we do say that it is our privilege to worship you. You are good. You are loving. You are worthy. And we say today, we love you in this place. Let this be a place that you visit with your presence because you are welcome here and because you inhabit the praises of your people. Father, I pray for everyone under the sound of my voice, Lord, that they would have confidence in their ability to just worship you and have you visit them. No insecurity, no fear, no doubt. Just trust that, God, you want to be with us even more than we want to be with you. We love you and we honor you in this place. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to connect with us, or if you'd like to know how you can give, go to victorychristian.church.